So we are continuing our studies in 1 Corinthians, and we are on 1 Corinthians 9. Um, what we need to, I think Pastor Woodrow mentioned this last week, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is, is a continuation of Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. As we studied, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is about food lifting up to idolatry, right? About, about what to do about food living up to, lifted up to idolatry eating food that is lifted up to idols. And Paul's advice to the weak, to the strong Christians, and Paul's definition of strong Christians are those who are personally convinced and convicted of the sovereignty of God, right? Verse 6, right? Eight, chapter 8, verse 6, Paul says, he, for God is the one from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom, through whom we live. So definition of strong Christian in the eyes of Paul are those who are personally being convicted of this knowledge, convicted of that all things come from God and all things exist for God. Side note, that's the definition of a strong Christian. Definition of a strong Christian is not, you know, what we're used to. It's not... How much, I, how much we fast, it's not the length of our prayers, it's not all these religious, you know, activity that we, we give credit for, right? I remember one brother, when I first started here, asked me how much I fasted. And I think the intent behind that question was, I think he, he, he thinks he could measure my holiness, the strength of my faith, based upon the length of my fasting. Paul's argument is, it's not the length of how long you fast, you can fast, that determines the quality of your faith, but it's the personal conviction of the sovereignty of God. And the strong Christians, Paul says, have this strong conviction that they could eat anything because everything comes from the hands of God. They personally really knew it. But there's also the weak Christians, and the weak Christians are those who recent converts who are not readily persuaded by the sovereignty of God. So what is Paul's instruction to the strong Christians, to the weak Christians? He's saying, strong Christians, even though you are free to eat such foods, restrict your freedom. Don't do it. For the sake of the weak. Yes, you are free to do what you want to do with regard to this food, but your freedom should be limited for the sake of the weak. This is Paul's main argument, right, in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Those who are strong, those who are privileged, those who are blessed, must sacrifice their liberty for the sake of the weak, especially for the sake of the gospel. This is Paul's argument in the first, nine, first 18 chapters of uh, chapter 9. I think Pastor Eugene did a wonderful job describing this last week. In chapter, chapter 9, Paul is explaining his rights as an apostle. He says, I have the right, right to take a wife and bring her with me to these missionary journeys. Paul says, I have a God-ordained, biblically-based right for you, Corinthians, to financially support me while I'm doing ministry here. Paul says, I have the right to be paid by you. But Paul says, even though I have this right, I didn't take advantage of this right. I didn't, you know, I didn't let you pay me. 
And the reason why he didn't was because of the sake of the gospel. He wanted to purely present the gospel. He didn't want any ulterior, people thinking of any ulterior motives of why he's preaching to the gospel. That's why he has forsaken his right. He had the right, but he forsake those rights for the sake of the gospel. Once again, you see the, th- you see the trend. The one who had the right forsake his right for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. That is the under, that is the heart of the gospel message. Philippians chapter 2, for example, it, it describes the humility of Jesus Christ. It says Jesus Christ was born in the very nature of God. So there is no higher place in existence than in the, than in the Godhead. But Jesus gave up his, his right, his nature, not nature, he gave up his eternal position to become a human. Not just a human. Human in servant form. Not just a servant, but a servant who, was, who died on the cross. The God who is to be praised in the highest gave up that glorious Glorious, glorious relations within, within the Godhead to become a low-level human being who died on the cross for us. He took my sins and my sorrow, as Rob sang, and he made it his very own. He went, I forgot the next lyrics of the song, he went to the Calvary, he bore the, cro- he bore the cross on Calvary, and suffered and died alone. The God of the universe, the highest, the person who enjoys the highest honor and praise, was hung on a tree for the sake of his people. Christians, that is the heart of the gospel message. The strong, the privileged, the advantaged, giving up their position for the sake of the weak, for the sake of the underprivileged, for the sake of the lost. And we just need to take a moment to contemplate this. And that is, as Christ has done this for us, that is our calling to, our calling in this world, as long as we live in this world, is to show the same humility and sacrificial love as Christ showed us. Look, in this world, people are given, right, given advantages that are not equal, right? It's clear, God did not give the same ability, the same advantage to everyone. God is discerning. He he didn't equitably distribute blessings and benefits to everyone equally, right? For example, I'm obsessed with this economist named Thomas Sowell, and he says the history of the human history is a history of inequality, he says. By the way, Thomas Sowell is an African-American scholar, raised in Harlem, got a PhD in Harvard, is a fellow at Stanford, right? So he was raised poor, and he reached the heights of academia. So he, he, he has that kind of a background. And he says human history is a history of inequality. Some people were born in countries with more natural resources than other people. 
Some people are born into cultures that are more intellectually advanced than other cultures. Some people are born with govern the form of government that is more effective than the other form of government. Human beings, by their very birth, are born unequal. Right? And that's biblically consistent. Parable of the, parable of the talents, Jesus says, right? The master gave some, some, like, you know, five talents to one servant, two talents to the other servant, and one talent to the other. This parable sp- clearly shows God gives different things to different people. In our eyes, maybe they're unfair, but regardless of what we think, that's the reality of the, re- reality of the world. Then what are we, for those of us who have been blessed with much, what are we called to do? We are not called to hoard these things on our own. The reason why God has blessed us is not so that we will hoard these things on our, by, just for ourselves, but as Christ shown in his humility and service to distribute our blessings to those who are less fortunate. The reason why God has blessed you with such great jobs, and a lot of you have really great jobs, but the reason why, one of the main reasons why he has blessed you is so that through that work, you will bless the world. You will, you will bless the world by the very work that you do, and you will bless the world with the income that you're making through, 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 through that job. For those of you who are free, who, who, have, who have much privilege in this society, God has offered you that privilege to help the defenseless, to help the weak, to help the poor. Um, because of recent events, I am watching this movie, Just Mercy, uh, the Brian Stevenson biographic movie. It's free in Amazon. You should all watch it. Brian Stevenson went to Harvard Law School. And rather than serving corporate America with his Harvard Law degree, he realized the privilege of a Harvard education can be used to defend people in death row in Alabama. So he used his Harvard degree, go to, go to Alabama, and until this day, he's defending the rights of, of of people who are in, uh, uh, unjustly, unjustly, um, unjustly incarcerated. That's the life. God has not blessed us so that we will just be lazy and just be wallow in our privilege. He has called us to share our blessings with others. But we must be very careful right? Because if we just listen to what I just said, which is correct, right? James chapter 2 supports this. James chapter 2 says, if you think you have faith, but if you don't help a brother in need, specifically he says, those of you who say you have faith and yet are ignoring the sister who doesn't have any, like who doesn't have, who's poor and who doesn't have any clothes, then your faith is not real, right? So James is saying, true faith always has to be accompanied by good works in order to be justified as true faith. And that's true. But if you misconstrue what I just said, right, you think that God's main purpose of our lives in this world is to make this world a better place. We have to be very careful. Yes, it's true that God has called us to make this world a better place, 
by sharing with the underprivileged what we have. But that is not the main goal of the Christian. The main goal of the Christian is much deeper than making this world a better place. We get this by looking at what Jesus did. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Jesus humbled himself, gave up his natural position in the Godhead, went to the cross and died. He suffered and died alone. Why did he do that? What was his mission all about? Was it his mission, did he die on the cross to make this world a more equitable, more just place? No. That wasn't his mission. The mission wasn't primarily making this world an equitable or better place. That wasn't his mission. And you can clearly see in, 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 in gospel passages, right? For example, during Jesus, when Jesus was tempted by, the, by Satan in the desert, Jesus told Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bread symbolizes not just physical bread, but bread also symbolizes what people need in society to live. Jesus is saying, I have come more than to just give you what you need in this world. I have, given, I have come to give you the word of God. Mark chapter 14, there was a woman, right, whose only possession was a really expensive jar of alabaster perfume, a perfume in alabaster jar. When she saw Jesus, she broke that perfume, which was worth thousands. And she sprinkled on Jesus' feet. And she she was washing Jesus' feet with that perfume. The disciples were saying, disciples complained, Woman, what are you doing? You're wasting that perfume. You could have sold that perfume and give the money to the poor. Right? Reasonable. You're wasting that expensive perfume on doing that. You could have served the poor with that perfume, those disciples said. Jesus says, no, leave her alone. Jesus says, the poor will always be with you and you can help them but you will not always have me. Like it or not, in these words, Jesus is saying, there is more, not more important, there is a greater mission than serving the poor. As much as important as serving the poor is important, there is a greater reality, there's a greater need out there than merely providing for their needs. Another example is some of his early followers, those who confessed that Jesus was king, later on abandoned Jesus because they initially followed Jesus because they thought Jesus was going to overturn the unjust Roman system. They initially followed Jesus because they really believed that Jesus was going to do justice in in Israel society by overturning Roman rule. But when Jesus died on the hands of the Roman, Roman government, they abandoned him. They thought Jesus was coming to make this world a more just place for the Israelites. But Jesus didn't do that. He died on the cross. 
Once again, as important as using our gift to serve the disadvantaged is, that is not the main call of, that is not the main work of Jesus Christ. What is the main work of Jesus Christ? His main work is freedom. His main work is to set the captives free. His main work is to free us from the oppressive power of sin and death. That is one of his main missions. Listen to me carefully. The, pre-dom- the dominating philosophy and thought right now in our society, from the progressive left, including Hollywood, including the Black Lives Matter organization, not the movement, but the organization called Black Lives Matter, right? In academic circles, right? In Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all the academic circles, the, the dominating philosophy that is coloring everything, including Netflix, is a, theory, is, is a philosophy called critical theory. And critical theory is based on Marxism. And the critical theory, what critical theory does is they divide the entire world, they divide the entire world between the oppressors and the oppressed. Critical theory is saying what is wrong with the world is the uneven power dynamic. The oppressors are, oppress- are oppressing the oppressed, right? The oppressors are people of privilege, right? Usually white men, usually you know, people under, who are benefiting under the capitalist system, right? And these white men under, who, who, who dominate the capitalist society, these people are oppressing women, are oppressing minorities, right? Oppressing the LGBT community. They look the entire world in terms of a system of, of oppression. Their thinking is, we must overturn the oppressor to make this world a better place. That's the thought that, guide, that determines everything in society right now, in the progressive society. And they're not totally wrong. I think they got it right, right, in terms of how they define the world in that. Not, not what is wrong with the world, I think they, I agree with them in that. What is wrong with the world is, is people being oppressed. I agree with those adherents to critical theory because I agree. The problem with the world is that people are oppressed. What the Bible, where the Bible disagrees with them is, their thinking is what the oppressors are just merely human in their systems. No, no, no. The Bible is saying what oppresses human beings is the power of sin and the power of death. Yes, we're all oppressed, but we are oppressed more than white people oppressing us. We are oppressed by the power of sin and the fear of death. Everyone is oppressed by the power of sin and the power of death. Look, let's be honest. All of us are from are privileged. We are, right? Especially me. I, I, I agree. I admit, and my wife reminds me all the time, that I was raised unusually privileged because of my father's position, right? And because of, my, of, 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 of being the fact that I was born as my father's son, I got to be educated. I got to come to America. I got to go to law school. I got to do all these things. And that is my privilege. But I'm here to tell you, if you think that my privilege, my background, has set me free from the power of sin and the fear of death, you are dead wrong. 
If you think my brothers and everyone that I was raised with has overcome the power of death, power of sin, the power of death, you are dead wrong. Most of you are living in Northern Virginia, the richest county in America. You, no one has ever been rich like you. You are the top 1% like earners of the world. You are. You are. Has your position rescued you from the power of sin and power of fear of death? No. Oppression goes beyond external circumstances. Oppression is about the internal reality of a human being. Where does that oppression come from? Romans chapter 1. It was obvious, Paul says, that God exists. It is obvious, right, that God's work is, is evident everywhere. But human beings suppress this knowledge of God and they exchange it with a lie. Let's think about this exchange. When Paul's day, the, even though God is evident, the existence of God is evidently clear, even though the fact that we are made to orbit around God is very clear. In Paul's day, people exchanged the living, knowledge of the living God with idols made with human hands. Right? So rather than worshiping the true God, they made idols made, made with human hands. We're much more sophisticated than them, I suppose. But we also exchange the knowledge of God with something else. And that knowledge of God that we exchange with something else is ideologies. We exchange the knowledge of God with man-made ideologies. Once again, Thomas Sowell, the economist, he's saying, the world is operated by a narrative made by progressive intellectuals. These, these intellectuals in academia and whatever, they, make, they have a certain narrative of the world regarding racism, regarding income inequality. They, ha they, they have a thesis, they have a narrative, right? And these narratives that they made are not supported by empirical data. But because their voice is so strong, people believe in that narrative. So what people do here is, rather than sticking to the real knowledge of God, they exchange the knowledge of God with the narrative of, man, of, of, of human man-made narratives. They think the narrative is true, not God. People exchange the knowledge of true God with other things all the time. And because of this exchange, Paul says, our thinking became futile. It becomes muzzy and unclear. Our thinking becomes, we live for worthless things. We put value in things that don't matter and disregard things that do. We become insane, our thoughts. Have you ever talked, I've, I've, I've had conversations with really people suffering from manic depressions. And they are just in misery, right? And no matter how much I try to tell them what they're thinking is not true, they can't get out of their heads about that th thought that they have. They're, this negative thought is constantly looping around their head. And despite what I say about what they're saying is not true, they can't escape that thought. That's futility. We're oppressed by our futile thoughts. 
Not only are futile thoughts our, our hearts, the center of our emotions and our will, it becomes dark. We love the things, we're obsessed with things that don't matter. We build our lives on things that don't matter. Because our emotions are darkened. We're, we're oppressed by the, our evil desires. Evil desires are not just bad desires. Evil desires are over-desiring good things. That's also an evil desire. Over-desiring about food, over-desiring about your body, over-desiring about where to go, what to wear, all these things, we become under that, we, we become oppressed by our evil desires. Not only that, feudal hearts, darkened souls, obsessed with foolish things that leads to broken, shattered relationships. Envy, greed, idolatry, fits of rage, Paul lists, goes on and on, enormous after one. We are trapped with broken human relationships. Once again, you exchange the true God with the narrative, with the lie. Your thoughts become futile. Your emotions become futile. You get obsessed with foolish things. Your relationships become broken. And what do human beings do who are broken, who are oppressed like that? They make evil systems. They make systems that oppress people. Capitalism by in and of itself is not bad. But people take advantage of it to oppress other people. In this multicultural country, people take their race. And because they exchange the God for a lie, people think their race is better than the other race, which is utterly nonsense. Isn't this the condition of our world? From the micro level to the macro level, isn't this the condition of the world? People being dominated by the power of sin. Isn't that the narrative of our lives? Isn't that the narrative of the, of, of the people in D.C. who are protesting? Like, the reason why they're protesting is because of the unjust systems that fallen human beings make. We need liberation from such things. Right? People who hold critical theory says, if you just change the system, people will be free. Is that true? No. History of the world has shown over and over again, if you just exchange one system to another system, the adherents of the new system will dominate the other people. And you can see this in Soviet Russia, under Stalin's rule. I'm obsessed with Stalin these days, by the way. Stalin says capitalism is evil, so he, he like, communists took over Russia, they, 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 you know, and they just like, like, tried to... Like, eradicate capitalism, and they, and they replaced it with socialism, communism. But the people who adhere to the communist manifesto, they start killing everyone who disagrees with that manifesto. Changes of systems do not set us free. Another example is, is transgender people. According to Herit Heritage Foundation, which followed 1,000 research, 1,000 survey of people. They, they examined, those surveys examined 
the quality of a, of, of a person's life after they transition, after the surgery, after they, they transition to the sex that they think they are. Overwhelmingly, these studies, a thousand studies says, there is no evidence that the transition made their lives any better. It didn't cure their suicidal thoughts. It didn't quench the longing that they had. They believe that if they, if they just change their biology, physiology, right? Not biology, they can't change their biology. If they change their physiology to match who they think they were on the inside, they think they will be free. But these studies say they are not free. What sets the human heart free? The light of God. We are, we are imprisoned because of the exchange. We, we, we get away God and we exchange it for a lie. What sets us free is for God to come back to our consciousness, for God to come back into our minds, for God to come back in, the way, in, in our awareness. Who ushers in the light of God? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We are cursed with ignorance of God. And as a result, we do such horrible things. But because Christ suffered and died alone, and because Christ endured the wrath of God on our behalf, and because he was resurrected, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are redeemed, and, and the redeemed and the cleansed get to have the light of God back. It is the light of God that sets us free. Nothing else. Christians, by all means, serve the poor. By all means, let's volunteer. By all means, let's get involved in society. But let us never forget what sets people's hearts free. It's not our efforts, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time I do pro bono, every time I help a, a person from a third world country with their, with their like, immigration status or whatever, I'm keenly, I'm become keenly aware that all my legal help may make their lives a little bit better in this world, but they will I will never be able to set their hearts free. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can set people's heart free. The question I ask you this morning, is your heart free? Do you know are you still under the power of sin or have you been rescued by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is the light of God in your life? Paul knew that it is only the gospel that sets people free. And if you embrace the gospel, you're free. That's why he's telling the slaves, right? In I think 1 Corinthians chapter 7, was it? In 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he tells the slaves, even though you're a slave. Earn your freedom if you could, but stay where you are, Paul says. Paul's aware of their second-class citizenship in Rome. Paul is aware of, of, of the, the fact that slaves are lower-class citizens in that society. But Paul is asking them to stay where they are and serve their masters because Paul knows that in Christ, 
Their social position doesn't justify them, it doesn't define them anymore. What defines them is the freedom that they have in Christ. That's what Paul says, right? You are a free man in Christ. You are no longer anyone's slave. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether you're a slave or not. You're free. Paul's definition of freedom transcends beyond a person's economic status. Do you know that you're free? Paul says in verse 19, He's a free man, right? He says in verse 19, For though I am free from all. Paul says in verse 19, he is free from all. What does what Paul mean when he says free from all? Number one, he means, once again, that he is free from the power of sin and death. Death was his destiny. Eternal death was his destiny. That's not his destiny anymore. He's looking forward to the resurrected life in Christ. He's free from the power of sin and the fear of death. Number two, when Paul says he's free from all, he's saying he's free from the judgment of men. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3, Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by a human court. Paul says, I, don't, I care very little about what you think or what any human court thinks. He's not saying, you know, to be mean. But he's saying, I am free from your opinion of me because your opinion of me, quite frankly, do not matter. Your opinions of me, quite frankly, does not, do not matter, Paul says. Why? Because he is free in Christ. Another thing what Paul means when he says he is free, he is free from the belief that religious practices can make him closer to God. Paul was a Pharisee, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And what we know about Pharisees is they took obeying the Old Testament commands very, very seriously. Ever since Paul was a very little boy, he lived a very strict, disciplined life. In the way he prayed, in the way he read scripture, in the way he ate, in the way he talked, in the way in what he did on the Sabbath, his life was very, very strictly, rigorously regimented, and he obeyed. Why? Because Paul thought doing that will make him more pleasing to God. Paul says, if I do these things as a Pharisee, then I'm closer to God. God is pleased with me. Paul is saying in verse 19, I am free from such thoughts. I don't have to adhere to those religious traditions that I was raised with. Because those things do not make me closer to God. The work of Jesus Christ determines my position with God, not what I do. Paul doesn't mean that he's free from the moral laws. Right? This doesn't mean Paul says, okay, I'm free in Christ, then I can sin whatever I want. Some people thought that way. Some people thought, oh, I'm free. Jesus forgives me, therefore I can be an adulterer, I can drink like a sailor. Right? If there's sailors listening to this, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend. Right? I, 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 I could engage in all these immoral activities because Jesus forgave me. Paul calls that foolishness. What Paul said when he's free, he doesn't mean he's free from being moral. Paul is saying, referring to the religious acts that he once thought drew him closer to God. Paul says, 
What determines my position in God is not what I do for him, but what Christ has done for me. So therefore, I am free from obeying these religious observance, like ceremonial laws. Paul knew his freedom. Paul knew he's free from the opinion of men. He's free from the religious practice of human beings. Paul is free from his, for, for the power of sin that dominated his life. Paul is free from the fear of death. Paul is free! But what does Paul do with his freedom? Verse 19 again. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Yes, I am free, Paul says. But in order to win the loss, I bind myself to all. I become a servant of all. Once again, like, he is walking the steps of Jesus Christ. Even though he is free, he's giving up his freedom so that he can be a servant, so that he can win people. The word win here is a business term. It means profit, right? Paul says, my ultimate profit in life, just like the, the main goal of businesses is to make money, right? Is to make profit. Paul is saying, my main profit in life is to share the gospel and win souls for Christ. That's what Paul says. In order for you to be successful, right, in order for a business to be successful, they have to make sacrifices. Right? If you're, especially when you're starting out, the profits that you earn from your business, you got to, you got to be wise with those profits. In order for the business to become successful, you have to be very disciplined. Right? You have to be tied to that business. You have to sacrifice for that business. You have to, in terms of sleep, in terms of your freedom, in terms of everything, in order to make the business prosperous, you need, right, to devote your life entirely, enti all your senses to that, to, that, to, to that endeavor. Look, we have one of the brothers here who's starting his own business. And he's working night and day, night eating, not sleeping for that business. Because to make the business successful, sacrifice needs to be made. Similarly, Paul is saying, in order to win people for Christ, I need to make sacrifices. He says, I freely sacrifice my freedom to win people for Christ. He goes into detail what his sacrifice entails. Verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. What does that mean? To the Jews that I became a Jew so that I may, in order that I may win the Jews. To those under the law, I became one under the law, though not, not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. Well, what does Paul mean? Paul, is, Paul means is, yes, what he means is this. Even though I am free from believing that religious practices makes me draw closer to God, in order to win the Jews who still regard that ceremony, those ceremonial ritual laws important, I, take my, I limit my freedom and I submit under, I submit my freedom under, still, I still submit my freedom under that Jewish law. For example, right, um, Jews couldn't eat pork, right? right? They, they, they can't, they're, 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 Jews are, have strict dietary laws, 
Right? They can't eat pork, for example. Paul's argument is, I am free to eat pork. I am free to eat anything. But in order to win the Jews, when I'm with the Jews, I purposely give up my freedom to eat pork. Jews wore certain clothing. They're forbidden to like, wear certain you know, fa- like, fabric that's meshed with other fabrics. Jew- Paul is saying, in order to win them, I'm not going to wear clothes that offend them. I'm going to wear what they wear. Jews, like, like, you know, like Jewish men have a very restrictive dress and hair kept thing. You know, those Orthodox Jews, they have long beards, right? To win them, Paul says, I don't have to, even though I don't have to wear what they wear, I will purposely wear what they wear to win them over. In Acts 15, right? When Paul, Acts 15 is about the Jerusalem Council. What the Jerusalem Council was about in Acts 15 is the initial church was, was made by Jewish Initial followers of Jesus were all Jews. And the initial church leadership, right, all the apostles were Jewish people. Paul went to Antioch and converted non-Jews. After his conversion, conversion, like missionary work in Antioch, Paul returns to the, the Jerusalem council, the OG apostles, and the OG apostles discuss what they do with, what are they going to do with the like, Gentile converts. And one of the main issues was, do the new converts have to be circumcised? All the Jewish Christians were circumcised because they were Jews, right? Circumcision, like I said before, defined their position in God. In their minds, physical circumcision is a sign of their relationship with God. The question was, what do we do with the Gentile converts? Do we circumcise them? Conclusion was, you don't have to circumcise the Jewish converts, I'm sorry, the Gentile converts, but you have to tell the Gentile converts two things. Number one, don't eat food lifted up to idols. Number two, stop fornicating. Right? The conditions that the, that the Jewish leadership, like the Jewish Christian leadership, told the Gentile converts is you shouldn't eat food lifted up to idols. Whoa, wait a minute. Didn't Pastor Jay two weeks ago tell you about how it is free to eat food sacrificed to idols because idols are nothing? What did Paul do? Did Paul, because Paul's the one who wrote it, did Paul have an argument with the Jewish council? Saying, no, 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 you're wrong? No. Paul says, okay, I'll tell them that. And they told the Jewish, like the Gentile converts, don't eat food sacrificed idols. Why? He did it so that he will win over the Jewish Christians. He will not offend the Jews so that he can win them over. So that he will not be a, so the Gentile convert will not be a stumbling block. You see? That's what he means when Paul sacrificed himself. He put himself under the Jewish law for the sake of winning the Jews. Example that I, a modern example that I can give you is our, my brother James, right? James, hi James, right? During, during the small group, right? During a small group, he told a story about a f- person that he knows who's from a, he's a Christian, and, but his background is Muslim. So he was raised in Muslim background. He's culturally Muslim, but he was converted to Christianity. And one of his friends, like, took him to, like, a restaurant, which is, and they serve non-halal meat, right? For those of you who don't know, I think Muslims, they have to eat, the only, only thing that they could eat is halal, right? So this Christian, Christian from a Muslim background was into, went to a restaurant, right? And he was offered food that was not non-halal. 
I think it was pork or something. Even though that person had the freedom to eat that non-kosher, non-halal food, he didn't do it. And the reason why he didn't eat that food was, even though he could freely eat that food, if he eat that food, he will have a more difficult time talking to his parents about Christianity. His parents weren't Christians. And if he, they knew their son was eating non-halal food, which is against their religion, they're going to close their minds to Christianity. So in order to win his parents, he says, no, I'm not going to eat pork. Nope, I'm not going to eat non-halal food. Simply to win them over. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying not only that, verse 21, right? He said, to those outside the law, I became one outside the law. Right? Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. What he's saying is, he's, he's saying when he's with the Gentiles, with the unbelievers, he eats pork. He does the things what they do. You know, not, obviously not, you know, temple idolatry or, 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 or like promiscuous, you know, relations with women. But culturally, he engages in their culture to win them over. To the weak, Paul says, I become weak. Weak those, right, who, who are offended by food being eating food sacrificed to idols. When I'm with them, Paul says, I don't eat food lifted up to idols so I can win them over. There's a pastor that I follow, right? And this pastor is in North Carolina. And this pastor hates fish. He hates seafood. Hates it. Absolutely detests seafood, right? But God, took, God sent him to Japan where all they eat is seafood. So the guy who hates fish, he hates cooked salmon. One of the first meals that he had in Japan was this guy whom he helped you know, do something. He was, this Japanese guy was so grateful for his help. He took that pastor to a sushi restaurant and offered him sashimi. What did the pastor do? He said, he ate it. He says, thank God that, you know, sashimi doesn't have any flavor. So he just drowned it with soy sauce. He ate it for two years. Was that pastor free from not eating fish? Of course he was. But his, what he preferred didn't matter. Winning other people for Christ mattered. Presenting the gospel mattered. Because once again, it is only the gospel that sets the hearts free. And he will do anything and everything to make, to present this gospel. That's what Paul is saying in, verse, in chapter 9. The question is, is that us? Is presenting the gospel, do, first of all, do you know that it is only the gospel that sets the heart free? And if you do, what will you do to present this news to other people? What sacrifices are you willing to make? 
There are people in our church, I love them so, I love all of you, but there are a few people, a few people in the church, that are, they're, they're very generous. They open their homes to newcomers. They do. I didn't tell them to, they just voluntarily do. They're willing to sacrifice their free time to get to know and host it's people that they don't know so that they can, they can present the gospel. How, what, what sacrifices will you make in, in relation with your work right now? I don't know what you do. I don't know what relationship you, cannot, you have with, like, with Zoom and whatnot, but what sacrifices will you make to present the gospel to your family members, to your coworkers? He has not just called us to just, you know, do nothing, right? Just sit in our caves and do nothing and think that we're okay. God has called us to make sacrifices for the sake of the, of the news that can only set men's heart free. What we need to know, second of all, but we also have to remind of our primary mission. Our primary mission of the church is not to make this world a better place. That is not what our primary call of the church is. Our primary call of the church is to present the, present the news that, that can only set men's heart, people's heart free, which is the gospel. We do good things in society. We're called to do good things in society. But let us not forget our primary mission which is share the good news of Jesus Christ that sets men's heart and men and women's hearts free. Let's pray for this and we'll end. Father, you did not, Lord, you just didn't sit in, your, in heaven demanding that we love you, demanding that you, we follow you. Rather, you came and you became a servant to all. You actively died on the cross on our behalf so that we will be set free. You aren't a God who just sits in your throne, calls us to do things. No, you get involved in our lives to set us free. You sacrifice yourself positionally with your life to set people's hearts free. And that is what we're called to be, Lord. Father, we are called to sacrifice ourselves so that we can share your news to set people's hearts free. And we can't do it just being comfortable in our, in our, in our homes. We can't do it just be, being comfortable in maintaining our lifestyle. We can't expect, Father, people just to hear the news by us just living our everyday lives. No, Lord, sacrifice have to be made. Steps have to be taken. Hands have to, get, have to be dirtied. May you call us to share the good news, actively share the good news with the people around us. But in order for us to do so, Lord, we have to be convinced that you have set our hearts free. It is only those whose hearts have been set free, it is only those who know that they've been set free from Je by Jesus Christ. It is only those people, Lord, can sh effectively share the gospel. So persuade us, Lord. Tell us of your freedom. Make us experience your freedom in our lives so that we will gladly share your news with those who are around us. 
all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.